we are one week into our 21 days of fasting and praying. How's it going for you guys? Amen. Amen. It's going good. We had our groups started last week, heard amazing things from that. Here's what's incredible is I was thinking, you know, we're trying to get people together to pray and fast. That's not exactly like having a beer and hot wings small group where people are just going to turn out for that. Like, this is people coming together because they want to pray and fast and seek after God. And like half the church is in prayer groups. That's incredible. That exceeded our expectations, and uh, it fills us with faith for what God is going to do. And I tell you what, he said that if you want to see things happen on earth, if you want to see me come and to heal your land, then you who are called by my name, you repent of your sins, you come after me, you, you pray, and I'm going to come, and I am going to heal, and I'm going to do the things that only I can do. So we are on the right path to that. I encourage you guys, stay strong. I know right now... Uh, Pretty much any kind of food that is meat-based looks good to you for those of you that are giving that up. Or for those of you that have been comfort fasting, giving up TV and football playoffs are going on, it's worth the sacrifice that you're making. Because remember, we fast and we pray because, number one, we want to connect with God. That's why we pray. And we fast because we want to disconnect from the things of this world. So today, we're going to continue to teach on prayer. And I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Now, there are lots of reasons why we pray. Uh, you know, there's things that I need to see God do inside of my own life that I have written down. And for those of you guys that don't have a prayer card, I encourage you to pick one of these up at the seek table. On the front, it has the prayer points that we're praying for as a church. On the back, there's a space to write down the things that you need to see God do in your life. And then also, if you're in a group, a place you can put down the things your group needs prayer for so you can intercede for them. But grab one of those, make it a part of your daily prayer life. And it's good when we pray because there are things that we need to see God do in my life, in my family, in the church, in this city, in the state, in this nation, all around the world. There are very real things that we come against where we say, God, this doesn't line up with your will. This doesn't match up to your kingdom culture. So we need to see you move miraculously in these areas. We're petitioning him in prayer. But even greater than prayer through uh, petitioning God in prayer, uh, that, that's not the reward of it. Uh, you know, when we pray and we see the answers to prayer, that's great. I love that. But that's not the greatest reward that we find in prayer. Now, whereas parents, if you have kids, you love giving gifts to your children. But the gifts that you give to children aren't the greatest thing that you have to offer them. The love and the relationship that you have with them, that's the greatest thing. And that's why we pray, too, is because we find God when we pray relationally we discover him and we build intimacy with him. When God appeared to Abraham and started the covenant that started this whole thing off that we're a part of now, he said, Abraham, I'm going to give you lots of descendants, you're going to be rich, and all these other things are going to happen to you, but that's not the reward that you're going to have for seeking me. These are gifts and blessings I'm going to give you, but God said the reward that you will have is me. You will know me. You will encounter me in my presence and that's the reward that we find today when we pray. So when I go into my prayer closet and I do have my list of things that I need to see God do and I'm petitioning him for, but even if I saw every single one of those things answered, that wouldn't compare to the reward that I find in encountering God when I pray and building the relationship with him. If every single one of these things on my list were never, list were never answered, but I encountered God in his presence, I'd be okay with that because I would have the greater reward. 
But if I have everything on my prayer list checked off and God answers every one of those, but I never know God intimately and I don't encounter his presence in prayer and build a relationship with him, then you know what? The things really don't matter. Because the greatest thing, the thing that we're really seeking after and going after when we pray is, God, I want to know you. You said that when I seek you, I would find you. You said that when I draw near to you, that you are going to draw near to me. So Jesus, this day, I'm committing to set my heart after you. No matter what comes against me, I'm going to petition you for the things that I need to see happen. But God, more than that, I'm coming after you and who you are. God, I want your presence inside of my life. I don't want to just hear about you from other people anymore and hear stories about you, but I want to know you because I have encountered you. And that will happen as we pray. And for me, growing up praying, that wasn't the way that it happened. The, when I first started praying, the first prayer that I learned as a little kid was, Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Now, I had a sister named Amy, my little sister, so I thought I was now lie Amy down to sleep. And I thought, why do I have to tell God that we need to do that every single night? But then I was scared after that. I was like, and if I die before I wake, hey, wait a second. Well, I don't want to die. Do I have to say these magic words every night so that I wake up the next day? And who is this Jesus that's going to come and steal my soul away if I die? It was, I, I prayed out of fear. I had this memorized thing. It had no power. There was no connection to God in it. There was no life in it. It was just, I say these words or else something really bad is going to happen to me. And then I started expanding on that. My parents started teaching me, okay, now after you say this, why don't you thank God for some things? So I'm like, okay, now I'll aim me down to see if I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And Jesus, thank you for the green grass. Like, I just say something I was thankful for. Like, God, thank you for grasshoppers, because I loved grasshoppers as a kid. And I'm like, God, thank you for my sisters and my parents. And so it started to expand from that a little bit, but it never really grew into something that was big. And I knew as a kid that I was supposed to pray as I grew up beyond this form prayer. I was like, okay, God, I read about these people that were used greatly by you, and they're praying two, three hours a day. Like, God, I want to be someone like that because I see that these people that prayed like that, incredible things happen in their life and in their ministry. So, God, I want to pray like they do. And I'd get two to three minutes into my prayers and I'd be repeating material. I'd be like, oh, Lord, I, I don't know how on earth these people can pray that long. And even still, I was coming to God with my, it was like going to, to Santa Claus and Santa, here's the, the Christmas wish list that I have. Can you do these things for me? That's what my prayers were like. It was the two to three minutes rattling off everything that I wanted God to do for me, but there was no relationship. There was no connection to him. And it was really just kind of a dead time for me. It was a ritual that I went through every day. And inevitably, what would happen is I'd give up on the idea of having a strong prayer life. I, I realized, like, I'm just going to be a two to three minute, maybe stretch it up to five if I have a big list of things to pray for when I go into the prayer closet. But I don't see how it could ever be something more than this for me. And that's the way it is so many times. Is we know that we need to pray. We know that we can connect to God when we pray, but we don't have any practical steps or ways of how that actually comes into existence now when we pray. And if you try something and you don't see the results that you want, you'll end up giving up on it and you'll be discouraged about it. And this is how everything happens in life. The reason why you know, all of us started a new diet and exercise plan January 1st that we've now quit on is because there was some desire inside of us. We have the idea of what our toned, ripped body is going to look like and the delight that we will have when we achieve that result. So there's a desire, 
And then you say, okay, now there has to be some discipline inside of my life to make that happen. You get into the discipline area, and you say, this isn't worth it, so you quit, and you never reach the delight stage of this. But if you have desire, and will allow it to turn into discipline in your life, you will eventually find delight in whatever it is that you're pursuing. It's the same in prayer. Right now, I hope that you guys have some desire built up inside of you to pray and to connect with God through prayer. And if you will commit to having some discipline in your life, you will get to the point where you delight in your prayer time. And it isn't something that's arduous for you. It's not tedious. It's not something you're just trying to get your checklist for the day done. It's, I cannot wait to go and to meet with God in prayer. And for me, this began to happen one day when I heard someone teach on what's called tabernacle prayer. And it was a a model or a plan that you can use when you pray that really, for me, unlocked the relational aspect of prayer. And the tabernacle um, of Moses, and we have a picture of it, I'll show you guys. Back before we were doing portable church, thousands and thousands of years ago, there was the portable church. When God talked to Moses and told him, I want you to build a place where people can come and encounter me, this is what it looked like. It was a rectangular tent that kept everybody out with one opening there on the right-hand side. And then you'd come in and there's the brazen altar, there's a laver, and then there's a tent. And you walk inside of the tent and there would be some candlesticks, there would be a table with bread on it, there would be an altar of incense, and then you'd go through all of those places and you would get to the holiest of holies. And that was the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And there on the mercy seat of the ark was the place where God dwelt on earth. You could actually go and encounter his physical, tangible presence. But it only happened for one person once a year. The high priest would be able to go into that place where they would meet with God and be able to to face to face have an encounter with who God was. But before they could get to that, they had to go through these stations like the altar, the brazen laver, and all of the other things. And it was a way of preparing that person to encounter God in his presence. And uh, today we don't have to go through all of the ritual that we see in the tabernacle. In Hebrews chapter 10 it says this, The old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. See, what God did was he gave them a sort of a protocol that they would go through to be able to encounter his presence. And he also gave them things, these different stations, that would help them to realize what it was that they would look forward to when they were redeemed by the Messiah. And thank God now Jesus is here and we don't have to go through all of the things that they went to. And now it's just one person once a year that can encounter God. It's all of us now can go and encounter the presence of God. It says in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 19 through 22, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a high priest who rules over God's house, let us not go right into the presence of God with sorry, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. What God is saying is that I want all of you to come in and to encounter my presence, and I've made a way for that to happen through Christ Jesus. The thing that I promised Abraham that I would be his reward, now we are the inheritors of that promise. We are those who can now claim that inheritance of knowing God and encountering his presence. And I'm going to walk you through the different places in the tabernacle today and show you how it was that these things pointed to Jesus 
and how now that can affect the way that we pray. So if you have some paper and a pen with you, I'd encourage you to get ready, take some notes, because if you will go through this prayer, it will set an example for you uh, that will really lead you into a rich and connected prayer life. So the first thing uh, for praying through the tabernacle is the entrance gate. Now, to get into the tabernacle, uh, there was only one gate. It was a very large gate that was on the south side of it. It was 30 to 40 foot across, which is much bigger than one person needs to be able to go into the gate. And what this symbolized was that there was one way to God the Father, and that Jesus is him. That there is only one name that we call upon by which we are saved. And Jesus has made a way for us now to enter into the presence of God. And there's no other way but through Jesus. And that was a controversial thing even back then. And it continues to be a controversial idea today. But that is the only way that it is. If you want to know God, if you want to encounter his presence, the way to that is through what Jesus has done for you. He has opened up the gate. And then the reason why that gate was so wide was to symbolize that anybody can come in. There is no sin that is so great or so strong in your life that it can keep you from entering into the presence of God because what Jesus did has removed every sin from you and now you can boldly enter into the presence of God. Now, how does that make you feel? That makes me feel good. It makes me feel thankful. And that's why it says in Psalm 104, David wrote, "'Enter into his gates with thanksgiving.'" Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. The first thing that I do when I pray as I walk through this image of the tabernacle is I enter the courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I just start out every prayer time thanking God. I praise him because it says in the Bible that every good gift that we have comes from him. So I start out and I say, God, Thank you so much. God, thank you for your goodness. God, thank you for the blessings that you've poured out on me. And I'll start going through specifically thinking of things. I'm like, God, thank you for my children. God, what a blessing they are to me. I love them so much. They are such a good gift. God, thank you for my wife and the blessing that she is to me. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for my friends, family. I, yeah, on the sunny days when we get those in the winter, I'm like, God, thank you for the sunshine. I just want to make sure that when I'm going in to meet with the King of Kings, that I'm not going in there improperly. I don't want to go before the king of kings and be like, you haven't done anything for me. I don't want to go ingratefully before God. I start out just turning my heart and my attention to all of the good things that he's done for me. And I encourage you, sometimes there are just rough days. There are days where you feel like, God, how could this be happening to me? Lord, I have nothing to be thankful for. But before you go in and enter that place of prayer, I encourage you, I've done this before, where I'm just having a terrible day, I'll just start making a list of the things that I am thankful for. And I'll just start praying through those and thanking God for them. And it changes my heart. And it now puts me in a position, positions me so that I can go before the king and encounter his presence. So start out your prayer time just thanking God. And if you have to make a list of things, then go ahead and do that. Sometimes I like to try to think of something I've never thanked God for before. Uh, that's always fun because he's given us and blessed us more than we're even aware of. So I like to try to search out some of these things to thank God for them. And uh, then as you come into the gates, the first thing that you would encounter in the outer courtyard is the brazen altar. And this was a place where they made all of their animal sacrifices. It was essentially like a big barbecue pit. And it was a, a really gross place. They were, you know, slitting cows' throats and sheep. And, you know, like it was just a nasty, bloody mess. It was not pretty. And that's the first thing that you come into is you enter into the courts of Thanksgiving. 
Because it was a place they had to make all of the sacrifices to cover over the sins that they had committed so they could continue to go into the presence of God. But that was an image of what was to come in the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus became the one pure, perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice that atones for all sins, past, present, and future, and removes them from us. Every sin, we don't have, and thank God we don't have to, you know, sacrifice animals anymore. I don't know that I have the stomach for that. And we think, why is that such a gross, disgusting thing? Why would God have people do that? Again, remember, this is a dim preview of what was to come. And it was important that it be bloody and nasty and messy because it helps us understand how grievous our sins are and the high cost that Jesus paid on the cross to remove those sins from us. You know, it's easy to try to sanitize Christianity, but anytime you try to sanitize Christianity, what you do is you remove how bad our sin was and how great God's sacrifice was for us. And when you start to remove from your understanding the great sacrifice that Jesus made, you begin to remove the love and the affection that you have for God because of what he did. We have to understand how terrible of a sacrifice was required of Jesus to atone for our sins. The absolute torture that he went through. And I sometimes, I admit, man, when I get to this point and I, and I think about the cross and what Jesus did, I feel like, God, I am so sorry that my boneheadedness, my rebellion, my wickedness caused you to have to die on the cross in this way. But God, thank you so much for it. And I begin to reflect on what that sacrifice means for me. Because that sacrifice... Um, in Hebrews 10, 12 says this, Under the old covenant, the priests stand and minister before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. And then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. You see, all the animal sacrifices in the world could never remove our sin. It could never remove our guilt, our condemnation, or our shame. It could never change the sinful nature that we have. But Jesus, being the perfect sacrifice now, atones for our sin completely and opens up an entirely new life for us. So I like to focus on what it is that Jesus provided for me through the cross. And this is what it provided. He provided salvation for us. My sins are gone. Someday when I stand before the throne and Jesus judges my life, he will look at me and say, pure and spotless, without sin. And I have sinned a lot. But I have a righteousness. I have a salvation. I have a right standing with God now because of what Jesus did on the cross. I have eternal life. And we also have healing. It says in Isaiah that Jesus bore stripes for our healing, that he was whipped and he was scourged. His body took affliction so that our bodies might be made whole. And I thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the healing that I have in my body. Thank you for the times you've miraculously moved, God. I pray that you would continue to miraculously remove. I received the full benefits of what it was that you did on the cross. Uh, I think about the redemption that I have. I was once alienated from God. I was a slave to sin. I was following Satan's plan for my life. I did not know God the Father, and there was no way for me to know him. But Jesus redeemed me from that. He's adopted me as a son. He's adopted you as a daughter. You have been redeemed to God by the blood of Jesus. And you have a new nature. That old nature that you had, 
that was dominated by sin has been removed from you, and now you have a new nature. You have the nature of Christ inside of you. That was made possible by the cross. And you have provision. Everything that we need for the new life, everything that we need for godliness has been provided to us, all because of what Jesus did on the cross. So I'd like to come in through the, the gates, thank God, turn my attention to the sacrifice that he made, thank him for that, and, and remember what it is that's been made possible for me now because of the cross. And then you'd move on from the brazen altar and you'd come up to the laver. And this was a large bowl filled with water. And what was really interesting about this is the bottom of it was covered with mirrors. So the priest would go there after the sacrifice was made and they would wash themselves because they've been made dirty. There's a lot of stuff around them that dirties them up. So they would wash themselves so that they would be pure. But as they're washing, they're looking into the mirror and seeing the reflection of themselves. And for us, we know that we go there and we're washed by the blood of Jesus. It says that we're washed by the word, that our cleansing has been made possible for us. Like we've been infected and we have been dirtied by the world that's around us. Just because Jesus died to give you a new nature and all these things have been made possible for you doesn't mean that you fully take hold of all those things instantly. There's a process called sanctification that you go through in your life where you begin to accept and to grow into everything that God made possible for you on the cross. And this is the place in my prayer is I look and I say, God, this is what you made possible for me. And I look at that reflection of who I am and I see, do I match up to that? And I say, God, I need you to search my heart and to know me. I need you to reveal sin issues inside of my life. I need you to show me the places where I'm not matching up. And this is something that David prayed as well in Psalm 139. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So what I do is after I, th I thank God for the cross and everything he did there, everything he made possible for me, I ask God, I'm like, God, would you search my heart? Would you show me the sin that's still in my life, the areas where I haven't surrendered to you? And he does. And sometimes you're like, ooh, ooh, gosh, I didn't quite realize that. I look at what scripture says my life is supposed to be like. That's the mirror that I look into. And I see the ways that I'm not matching up. And what I do is I repent. I say, God, forgive me of this sin. God, I need you to remove this junk from my life. Jesus, I need to now fully inherit all of the things that Jesus made possible for me on the cross. But search my heart. Reveal these areas to me. Show me the places where I've been defiled by the world around me, by sinful desires that I have in my heart. Because God, I want to be clean and I want to be pure, just as you've called me to be. And then after you had cleansed yourself at that place, you would walk into the holy place. This was the first tent that you would go into. And in there, there were three different pieces of furniture. And the first one uh, on your left as you walked in would be the candlestick. And this was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Because when you go there and you ask God to remove all of this stuff from you, the sin areas, old nature, things like that, it has to be replaced by something now. And that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in us. It is the third person in the Trinity that comes and dwells inside of us and leads us into all truth. And he bears fruit inside of us. So what I do is I look at the sin areas that I've had in my life, and I say, God, I want you to remove that. If it's, 
You know, I'm losing my temper and anger problem. I'm like, God, would you remove that from me? And instead, would you fill me with the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control? Would you fill me with the fruit of the Spirit, which is peace? And I'll go through, and I'll pray, and I'm like, God, I want all of the fruit of the Spirit inside of my life. I want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that you produce inside of my life. God, that's what I need inside of me. And then I will thank him for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the things that he's given us to empower us to accomplish the ministry that he's called us to. I'll thank him for those, but scripture also says to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. So I say, God, thank you for everything that I have, but I want more. God, give me the gift of prophecy. God, give me the gift of healing. God, give me words of wisdom and words of knowledge because Jesus, uh, I need discernment. I need you to fill me with your gifts so that I can do and accomplish the things that you've called me to do. And I like just spending time enjoying the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you so much. Thank you that you were pursuing me. Thank you that you led me to reconciliation with the Father. Thank you for the new nature. Holy Spirit, you said that you're the one that's able to create a new heart in me. Holy Spirit, would you do these things in me? And I'll just enjoy fellowship with the Holy Spirit and thanking him for his presence inside of my life and worshiping him and adoring him. And then on the other side of the room, you would see the table of showbread. And on it were 12 loaves of bread. And these are symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they were always supposed to be there in the holy place because they were always supposed to be there in the presence of God. And what this is symbolic of is that God wants to commune with us. When you look at bread, it's one of the elements that's used in communion. God doesn't want us to just come and do all of the talking He wants to have a relationship with us. And that means that we're going to have to take some time out to listen to God and what it is that he wants to say. Because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. We were created to hear God speak to us. But so many times we go through our life never hearing him speak to us because we never give him a chance to talk to us. So what I like to do is after I've been just focusing on the Holy Spirit and, and praying for a new filling and indwelling of the Holy Spirit in my life, is I'll think about that table and how God wants to, his presence to be with us, that we are his covenant people, we are his family, and he wants to have communion with us. And I'll just take some time and I'll say, God, would you speak to me? And I'll just still my heart, still my mind, and I'll just sit there in his presence and allow him to spend some time talking to me. And that's where most of all the sermons that I ever write, most of the things that I tell people, it all comes from that time when I'm just standing before God and allowing him to speak to me now. All the vision things that I have for the church and for different ministries, it comes out of that time of being still before God, allowing him to speak to me. A lot of times the affirmation and the encouragement that I need from God comes in that time when he speaks to my heart. And really that's become such a precious time to me of sitting there. And sometimes I don't hear anything. I don't know if it's that God is speaking or that I'm just not trained my ear to hear him well enough in that time. And sometimes it's, he'll put something in scripture, I'll be reading my Bible, and he'll speak to me through his word. Uh, sometimes it's an impression he'll put in my mind or in my heart, but he speaks. And he speaks such beautiful, life-changing, life-giving things to me. And then after I've spent some time doing that, um, the last thing that you would come to in that room, the holy place, was the altar of incense. And 
uh, what they would do is they would take a coal from the brazen altar and they would use that to light and to burn the incense that was there and it gave a sweet fragrance to the room. It was supposed to be a sweet-smelling aroma for the Lord. But how many of you know that God's main concern of this wasn't that things would smell good? It was an image. Just as there's no amount of goat's blood that can cover our sins, there's no amount of incense that we burn that's going to make things presentable to God. But what it's speaking about in the scripture, it says that there are two things that arise like incense before the Lord. And it says that it's prayer and that it's worship. It says that our worship is like a sweet-smelling incense that rises up before God. And so that's the time. I usually have a playlist going this whole time, but... I'll turn it up and I'll just spend some time there worshiping God. I'll spend 15, 20 minutes singing along with worship tunes, just thanking God, just telling Him how worthy He is, thanking Him for His presence, thanking Him for the thing that He spoke to me when I was listening to Him. And it's just a really sweet time that I have of connecting with God. And then lastly, what would happen is uh, there was this really thick veil that went across what was the holy place and separated it from the holiest of holies where the ark was. And remember, it was just one time a year that the high priest could enter into this place where the mercy seat of God was. And he had to go through the purification process so perfectly that if he didn't do it, he would die when he came into the presence of God. In fact, what they would do, because if the high priest died in there, nobody else can go in there and get him. So they would actually tie an ankle around the priest. Uh, Oh, sorry, a rope around his ankle so that if he died in there, they could pull him back out without having to go in themselves. That's how separated we were from God and from his presence. And the high priest would have to go into this place to the, where the ark was in the mercy seat, and he would sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice on it, and then he would intercede for the nation of Israel. But here's what happened. Jesus became our high priest. He was our sacrifice. His blood provided atonement, remission of our sins, removal of condemnation, guilt, and shame. He became the high priest who now went in before the mercy seat. His own blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat of God to intercede for us. And when Jesus died on the cross, <clears throat> this is a thing that is just so miraculous and so incredible to me, is that when he gave up his life, when he became that sacrifice for our sins, it says that that veil was torn from top to bottom. Amen. And that shows that we now have full access to the presence of God. Our sins were perfectly atoned for. We were perfectly purified. And we can go in there with a confidence. And so this is what I do. So after that time of worship, I go in there and that becomes my time of intercession and my time of petitioning God, just as Jesus does for us now, just as a high priest would have done. I go in there now, and I begin to pray and to intercede. I start out with my needs. I'll pray, God, I need more anointing on my life. God, I need more wisdom. God, give me vision. Jesus, make me the man that I'm supposed to be. God, there are these different things I need, and then I'll, I'll move out from there. I kind of think of it as a, a circle, and there are ripples that proceed out from me. And I'll say, God, uh, I'll move on to my family. And this is, I have a list with me. I'll say, God, thank you for my wife. Pour out your blessings on her. Lord, these are the things that, that she needs. God, would you do these for her? And then I pray for my children. And then I move on, and I begin to pray for my extended family. 
And then I'll go on and I'll continue to intercede for this church and for all the people that are here. And that's what those of you that are sending me different prayer requests, this is that time when I'm there before the mercy seat and I'm interceding for you guys and praying on your behalfs. And I'm praying then for things beyond the church. I'm praying for our city. I'm praying for our nation. I'm praying for the world. I'm praying for the leaders and those that are in authority. And you can just pray and pray forever here. And you're inspired and you're motivated and you're empowered to do it because you've been spending all of this time connecting with God, building a relationship with Him. Faith and expectation have been rising inside of you. And as I do that, I know, like after I'm done with this time of prayer and petitioning God, I thank him. I say, God, thank you that all of this is possible because of the blood of Jesus that was shed. Jesus, thank you for the answers to prayers that we are going to see. God, thank you that you accomplished all of this on the cross. And then I'll move on with my day. But I'll have spent a good chunk of time in the morning before I did anything else relationally connecting with God. And I can tell you this. This isn't a plan that I follow exactly anymore. It was a plan that I used to help me grow and develop relationship with God. And now the Holy Spirit leads me in my prayer. But there is a pattern that I have when I go in. I always start out with, you know, thanksgiving, uh, with thinking about what Jesus has done on the cross and all these things before moving into worship and, and then intercession for other people. And if you will commit to do this, if you have desire inside of you right now, and now is that I need the discipline stage of it, I would encourage you, spend the next seven days praying through this pattern of prayer that I just taught you. And I can guarantee you that you will be able to pray, pray longer than you ever thought that you could. You will be like, oh man, my half hour or hour's up. Like, I gotta shut this down because I gotta go to work. Like, praying will become easy for you. And encountering God's presence will become easy for you. And your prayer will go from being a discipline to a delight. Is that something you guys want? You want a delightful prayer life? Do you want to encounter the presence of the living God? All right, let's stand up with me. Now let's, let's pray. Let's go before the Father this morning. God, thank you that you created us to hear your voice. And Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning. I feel like the thing that God's speaking to many of our hearts is he's inviting us in. He's inviting us to encounter him, to know him more fully, to stop standing outside of the veil. And I think there's two types of people. There's one, maybe you don't encounter the presence of God and you feel like you haven't been doing that because there are things that you feel have been separating you from God. Maybe you've never made that decision to say, Jesus, I follow you, forgive my sins, cleanse me, I make you the Lord of my life, and I'm coming after you. Then that's what it starts with. You just have to know that when you make that decision to follow after Jesus, you ask him to forgive your sins, you say, God, I repent of that, I'm going to live a new way, I'm going to follow you, whatever that means, then at that moment, Jesus takes your sins, he takes your guilt, your condemnation, and your shame, and he removes it from you, making you righteous and now able to enter into his presence. And so that might need to, be, need to be the decision that you make right now. And I encourage you, if that's you, then do that. 
or maybe you have been following Jesus, but you aren't encountering his presence like you want to or like you used to. You've been stepping back out of the Holy of Holies. And you need to remember that every sin has been cleansed, that you are pure, you are upright, that what Jesus did on the cross made you righteous. And God's inviting you to step back through, encounter his presence, seek after him in prayer, develop that discipline that you need to seek after him because the promise that we have is that when we seek after him, we find him. So I encourage you not to feel condemned or shamed this morning, but to feel convicted by the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit says, I'm not guilting you about this, but I'm saying you're called to something even greater. You're called to something even better. And that's what he's speaking over you this morning. So Father, we come before you this morning. We're so grateful for everything you've done. Jesus, thank you that you are our sacrifice, that we have new life that's in you, that we are guiltless, that we are free from sin, that we have right standing before you. Jesus, we pray that you would search our hearts, that you would know us, that you would reveal sin, and that you would cleanse us from that. Holy Spirit, thank you that you have come to us. Jesus, thank you for this gift that you've sent to us. And we pray that you would fill us over and again, that we would know your fellowship, that you would fill us with the fruit of the Spirit, with the gifts of the Spirit. God, thank you for the communion that we have with you. God, we pray that we would feast at your table of your presence, that we would know you and that we would hear you speak to us. God, we thank you that our prayers and our worship rises up before you as a sweet-smelling aroma. And God, may you be pleased with the worship that we bring to you. And Jesus, we come before you, standing in the gap for our friends, our family, our nation, our city. Jesus, we pray that you would be the one who comes and moves mightily. God, we pray for an increase of your presence in Radiant Church. God, an increase of your presence in our lives, that when people come here, they're moved and they're overwhelmed by your presence. God, in the freedom that your spirit brings. Jesus, we pray for plus one. God, that you would continue to bring us the lost, the hurting, the broken, those who are far from you, and that they would receive the gift of salvation through faith in you. Jesus, that they would be healed, that they would be set free, that marriages would be restored, relationships reconciled. God, that freedom from addictions and sin issues would take place. God, for hope to come into them, for gifts to be poured out inside of them. Jesus, we pray that we would be overflowing with people. Lord, we pray for a building. God, that you would give us a place that we can call home. Lord, a place where we can minister to people 24-7. A place where thousands of people come to know the life-saving uh, salvation that you have provided for us on the cross. And Jesus said it would be at the right price in the right location. Jesus, we pray that you would be our provision, that you'd bring increase in every area for us, God, that we would be able to fulfill everything you've called us to do. And God, we pray for every leader in Radiant Church, Lord, that they would be filled with your wisdom and your vision, that you would be a hedge of protection around them. God, that they would be able to share in the ministry that you've called us to as a church. And Lord, that you would raise up even more people to come alongside and to farther and to advance the mission that you've called us to. Jesus, we pray that this city would be yours. We open ourselves to you. We surrender ourselves to you. And we thank you that all of this is possible because of you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.